fourscore and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We've come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who gave their lives that this nation might live. It's altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated far beyond our poor power to add or to detract. The world will little know, nor will it long remember what we say here today, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work for which they have fought and so nobly advanced. It is rather for us here to be dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to the cause for which they gave their last full measure of devotion that here we highly resolve that these dead shall have not died in vain that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that the government of the people by the people and for the people shall not perish from the earth that is the gettysburg address and it was delivered november the 19th 1863 in the height of the civil war when north was against south brother against brother and this nation was torn and American soil was bloodied by hundreds of thousands of sons of America fighting each other. And on the field of Gettysburg, Abraham Lincoln delivered that address, those immortal words, and he called for America to have what he said, a new birth of freedom. This weekend, here as we're about to celebrate our independence this 4th of July week, I want to call America to a new birth of freedom. For you see, in America today, we struggle with issues and concerns. There's rhetorical division and spiteful insults being exchanged from Main Street to Pennsylvania Avenue. America recently discovered that a foreign power was meddling in its elections. Moreover, I need to remind us that Satan has meddled in our politics and our governmental structure and he is seeking to steal the heart and the soul of America. It's time for America to have a new birth of freedom. There have been times America has gained that new birth of freedom, such as 1863, the issuing of the Emancipation Proclamation. There, America discovered its soul again. January the 31st, 1865, and the adoption of the 13th Amendment forever abolishing slavery in America long overdue. And at that moment, 
the American soul was renewed again. During the civil rights movement, when Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King led a voice and called America to a point of consciousness to embrace the values for which it stood, America gained its consciousness once again. But today, we have misplaced enlightenment and it has extinguished the voice of consciousness today. America, we have let down our guard. Our national consciousness has been replaced with voices calling for personal entitlement. No longer are we standing up for the values that built and sustained America. Everybody is concerned what is right for them. It was George Orwell who warned us of what he called double thinking. He said double thinking is when you're polarized by two opposing values, claiming morality, but dismissing morality. And he says it will be canceled out. When the motto of America no longer aligns to the value of America, rejecting morality while claiming to be moral, claiming enlightenment, but blinded by self-interest. He said when you get to that moment of, of double thinking, he says then anything is allowed. The unattended consequences of double thinking today is so evident in our society. We have polarized government. We have, we have parties, people, and whole groups of people, rivals against one another, opposing Americans torn. And the fabric and the soul of America is wounded and distressed today. We think today that we can oppose and have opposing ideas and still go about our values. And we're realizing that some things just cannot mingle. Oh, yes, you can take blue paint and red paint and mix it together and you can come out with the color of maroon. But you cannot take a good recipe, add rotten eggs to it and have a good omelet. There are some things that will not mix. And people of faith, yes, we live in a society in which people around us do not value our Savior and do not hold to the values that we hold to. And yes, we can be salt in life. And yes, we can hold to our consciousness and our values. They don't have to agree with us in order for us to be people of light. But people of light cannot embrace darkness. That is incompatible. Double thinking today has allowed us to endorse alternate lifestyle and, and just say it's, it's acceptable today. We embrace individual rights and we are shunning responsibility in America. We envy possessions and we call it ambition today. Today in America, profanity spills out everywhere and we call it freedom of speech. Truth and values are being labeled as narrow-minded. Personal preference is now the North Star in America. And everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. And I'm here today to appeal to people of faith. To seek, to call us to a moment of national consciousness again. That there would be a new birth of freedom in America 
And may it start in our conscience. It was in the Bill of Rights. This particular edict was given. And I quote, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's one of the rights that we have as Americans. But in a letter by Thomas Jefferson, he made a passing comment about building a wall of separation between state and church. And that statement has been co-opted and misused and pushed people of faith into a corner of passivity and silenced our voice and our conscience today. Thomas Jefferson uh, initially, he issued that statement and he said, with reverent respect, I remind Americans, the American people want a wall of separation, not to silence, not his intention was to silence people of faith, but that government would never intrude in the free practice and the exercise of faith, but has been turned upside down. And under that one phrase, which is not in the Bill of Rights and not in the Constitution, we have been intimidated and in thinking that we cannot be people of conscience and we should silence our voices. And I'm here today to appeal for a new birth of freedom, that our conscience would be awakened. And this morning, I want to share three things with us about our conscience. Number one, I want to point out that conscience connects us upward to God. We have a conscience. It connects us upward to God. The book of Acts chapter 23, verse number 1. The Bible says, And Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience this day. Will you please note that in the New Testament, living by and expressing our conscience, the Bible says it is a daily duty before God. I wonder today, in the social and political pressure and intimidation of our day, if our conscience has not been silenced and pushed back. And I'm here to remind us, our conscience connects us upward to God. Yes, there are all kinds of opinions. There are opinions about everything. You can go on the internet. You can listen to conversations, blogs. There is all kinds of opinions out there. And the thing about opinions, opinions will change based upon new information. You can have an opinion about something. Tomorrow new information comes out. And the next day, there's another opinion. Emotions. Emotions tell us what we feel. Emotions change by our mood. Emotions change by expression, change by experience. They change by the whim of others. You can feel one way today and you can feel another way tomorrow. You can feel this way in the summer and you can feel a different way in the winter. Our mood changes. There's also trends. Trends just go every direction. It's the current of culture. It'll be in trend today. It'll be out of trend tomorrow. It comes and goes. There's also rationalization. Rationalization is an attempt to justify and excuse both our feelings and our thinking. 
When we change our thinking and we change our feelings, we rationalize based upon a convenience or a circumstance. Conscience is none of that. Conscience is not opinion. It's not rationalization. It's not emotion. And it's not trend. Conscience is the inner voice inside of us that guides us to know right and wrong, good and evil. It's the one thing inside of every human being, people that don't even believe the Bible, people that don't accept our Lord and Savior, but God has put within them something called spirit. And in the spirit of man, there is a conscience. The Gospel of John chapter 1 verse number 9 says that in every human being, God has put a light. And that light, God's light shines to it and light talks to light. There is inside people, everyone, your co-worker, your friend, your brother-in-law, your neighbor, that may not have no regard for Jesus, the Bible, or the Judeo-Christian ethic. God has put something inside of them called conscience. And we can take our conscience everywhere because our conscience connects us to God. And Scripture warns us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, there will come a day that in the inundation and preponderance of information and false ideas, the conscience will be silenced. He said, the scripture says, it will be seared as with a hot rod. We will not have the ability to feel in our conscience. Hence, my appeal. May there be a new birth of freedom in the hearts of America. You have the ability to hear from God. Every believer has the ability to hear from God. We hear from God in our conscience. There are some things you don't have to read in the Bible. You don't have to have a verse at the snap of your finger at your fingertips. You can look at it and say, it is wrong and this is right. God has put that within your heart and it's called conscience and God speaks to your spirit. Conscience. Conscience connects upward to God. Number two. Conscience reflects inward to the heart. Conscience reflects inward inside of us. There is a conviction to our heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4 in the New Testament. It says, and my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Notice that. We are there in America today. So many people say, well, you know, I feel good about it. If you're just sincere about it, I've come to the conclusion it's politically correct. Everybody else does. Other people do. I just feel good about it. I've, I've worked it out. I hear people say, I've worked this out between myself and my inner person. And I just believe God understands that. The scripture says, my conscience is clear, but it does not make me innocent. Sometimes our feelings, our opinions, our rationalization, and the trends can take us down a false pathway. The scripture says our conscience is clear. It doesn't make us innocent. Why? Because it is the Lord who judges me. And the final analysis, it doesn't matter what everybody says. In the final analysis, it doesn't matter what the Supreme Court does. It doesn't matter what the popular opinion is. It doesn't matter what your brother-in-law does. It doesn't matter what others say. In the final analysis, our conscience reflects inward because it's been connected upward and we are responsible to God. God is the author of our conscience. Romans chapter 9, verse number 1. Scripture says, I will speak truth in Christ 
and I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. God, His Spirit, speaks to us through the conscience, and it reflects inward. And for a moment, I want to summons every Christ follower, every believer, whether you're a nominal believer, just came to faith in Jesus a few weeks, weeks ago, a few months ago, or you've been in the path of Christian service for some time, every one of us needs to have a conscience that reflects inward. And there are times we need to say, enough is enough. There are times in society, in life, we need to speak up and say, silence. I will no longer follow that pathway. That political correctness will not stand in the way of my biblical values. There needs to be a moment where people of faith say, no more. No more. The Supreme Court may legalize it, but I will not normalize it by my acceptance. It doesn't matter what's legal. It matters what is right. And we stand by that. And I say today, it, there are things that have become legalized. There are things that have become popular. They're in vogue today. And we have so many people of faith that are dabbling around in the middle. And our voice and our witness for Christ has been muted, has been tainted. Because we're trying to live on both sides of the fence. And I call believers to this no more moment. That maybe we cannot do in part what they do in full just because we don't want to be associated with it. We have to distinguish and we must live by our values. For you see, our conscience reflects inward. We need to say it does matter. It does matter to speak up. Some of us are saying, what good does it do to vote? What good does it do to say something? What good does it do to stand up for right? What good does it do me to take a position? It does matter. There is one of our presidents, one of our former presidents, I'll mention his name. And I'm going to dare say no one in the room will remember one quality about his presidency. As I mention his name... I dare say none of us will even know what position of presidency, how long he served, and any accomplishments, legislative or otherwise, that was ever under his administration. And that's former President James Buchanan. Can you recall anything that President Buchanan is known for? Probably not. Why? Because he was the president right before Abraham Lincoln. He faced the same issues Abraham Lincoln faced. He faced the pressure of succession from the South. He was serving in the debate and the polemics of slavery and refused to take a stand. And history records riding in a carriage ride with President Lincoln. He said, I am glad to leave as you are to come in and I want to have nothing to do with the presidency again after one term of office. You know what he's known for? He didn't take a stand. He never took a stand against the scourge of slavery. He never lifted up his voice. He never exercised his conscience. And history has forgotten him. But Abraham Lincoln, his heart was so moved when he saw a slave ship coming in. 
and how African people were being treated. And something sparked in his conscience. And he could not live by that. And he became a champion of the 13th Amendment to abolish slavery in America. You see, our conscience must reflect inward. We can no longer sit on the sideline and say it's too bad and there's nothing I can do about it. For just a moment, can I give us some advice? Can I give us some practical advice? The first thing I would say is stand in the gap. Every one of you, there's a gap you can stand in. Oh, it may not seem like a big gap, and it may not seem like you can make a difference, but your voice can be heard. There's a moment and there's a time in which you stand up and you can make a difference. Stand in the gap. Don't be passive where God is active. Stand in the gap. Don't ignore what the Bible implores. There are things in this book, the Bible is adamant, clear, absolutely it is right and it is wrong and in those areas don't excuse it don't say it's passe don't say it doesn't apply if the bible implores it we must not ignore it moreover i say take a stand for christ in a christ-like manner in america today and this is a self-critique now believers in the body of christ we have we have minimized our witness for Christ because we have taken a stand in a way that does not honor Christ. What am I saying? We do not have to be hateful. We do not have to be involved in hate speech, demagoguery, insult, criticism. We do not have to get into the rancor, the debate. We don't have to get in the gutter language that the world gets in. We can share our values, and we do not get ugly and demeaning towards other people. Jesus said, this is how they're going to know you're my disciple, is that you have love. And if we create, communicate our truth and our values in an unloving fashion, we invalidate the message we stand for. So stand up for Christ in a Christ-like manner. Number four, expect opposition. Everyone that's gone before us in the walk of faith, they have faced opposition. Are we above that? Are we above thinking that if we take our stand for Christ and the workplace or friends or family or somebody else or society will push back, ostracize, label, discriminate against us as people of faith, mislabel, mischaracterize, are we above that? That Jesus said, so did the prophets before us. And if we take our stand for righteousness sake, Jesus said, blessed are you. We need to expect, expect opposition. So I share with us, I share with us, conscience connects us upward to God because he's put that inside of us. Our conscience reflects inward to the heart. And third and last, conscience projects outward to others our conscience should project outward to others in 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 verse number 12 the New Testament says this now this is our boast our conscience testifies did you catch that 
Our conscience testified. How do people know where we stand? Our conscience testifies for us that we have conducted ourselves in this world, and especially in our relationships with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. And we have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, not on opinions, not on rationalization, not on emotions, not on trends, on, on godly wisdom by God's grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. How do we do this? What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Can I say, every person in here, you're in a workplace that they may say you cannot mention, mention the name of Jesus. You may not be able to mention church. You may not be able to mention the scripture. You may not be able to preach the gospel, but you can take your conscience in there and your conscience will bear witness and testify to others. You have a right as an American citizen to say that is wrong and I refuse to be a part of it. This is right and I will stand up for it. You do not surrender your conscience because you're a person of faith and your conscience can walk with you in every workplace, highway and hallway in America and we need to do so. Our conscience should project out to others. Allow me for just a brief moment. Allow me to get very practical. Social media is such a part of our culture today in the 21st century. But I want to speak to people of faith about social media. Going on social media and complaining, griping, insulting, demeaning, just putting everything you think at any particular time is unbecoming to a person of faith. Now, I didn't expect to get an amen, amen there, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. <laughs> Believers, we need to walk in the Spirit on social media. Because you go to a restaurant and they didn't give you enough ice in your iced tea, and your wings did not have enough sauce on it, do not go on their side, gripe and complain and demean somebody. I have a rule on social media. It's right from the Bible. If I can't do something that lifts up, I will say nothing. I will not gripe, get into, uh, into derogatory comments. I will not insult. I will not pe pe put people down. If I cannot lift up, I will not put down. And that's my rule of social media. I call people of faith. Be careful what you like on social media. I see people in our own church like things. And there's vulgar language. There's criticism. There's demagoguery. There's lifestyle things they're celebrating and hoisting up drinks and people of faith are liking it. If you can't say amen to it in a sermon, don't like it on social media. Take your values with you and project your conscience out to others. If I can't say amen to it, I refuse to like it. Because in the workplace, the hallways and the highways, I want to project my conscience to others and I'm calling us to a new birth of freedom I'm calling every person of faith here to be a person guided 
by their conscience. Because God has deposited conscience in every one of us. It would be remiss of me if I didn't mention in this closing moment before we pray, and we'll be praying for our country, praying for the soul of America today. It would be remiss of me if I didn't on this 4th of July weekend in which we're going to celebrate our country's independence, I feel in my heart to offer special thanks. There are groups of our citizens that you're making a better America. And I'll start first with our military. Those who have served the military, either present or past, are veterans. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for going on that deployment. And you didn't have the privilege of being there at a birthday party, an anniversary moment. You miss family reunions because you got orders. And because you wanted to provide freedom and liberty to all of us, you did without. Thank you for what you have done. I want to say a special thanks as well to our educators. Being in the education field a few years ago, educators, God bless you. Being in the education field a few years ago, it was thought to be, it's wonderful to be around giggling, sweet, little, cute children all day long and three months off during the summer. That is not their reality. Their reality is they're on the, they're on the forefront of a cultural war. They walk into an area that's sometimes oppressed by conflicting values. Sometimes the administration does not stick up for them and they use some of the educators their own money to buy supplies for their classroom because they're not adequately funded. They give their best and do their best. And here's what the educators of this church tell me. We cannot get parents to be involved in the PTA. Parents, spirit-filled parents. Would you become an advocate and get involved in PTA and be supportive of the school and the education system and the teacher that instructs and imparts to your children? Yes. Educators tell me they never hear from parents until little Johnny goes home and says he wasn't treated fairly and this wasn't done right. And then parents, without hearing the other side of the story, walk up to the principal's office and pounding their fist on his desk and demanding that little Johnny have all of his rights and all of his privileges without hearing the other side. And you know what, parents? Sometimes kids don't tell the full story. Yeah. We didn't when we were kids. And we pulled, we tried to pull the wool over mom and daddy's eyes. But we're in a society today where the teachers don't feel the support of the parents. And I'm going to invite our parents, spirit-filled believers, always respond with your conscience. Before you walk up and pound your fist on that desk, would you go up there and just get an audience and hear the heart of the educators and hear the heart of the teachers? I want to say special thanks to our first responders. You make America better. We are a better and safer country because of you. I must say to all of our social workers and those in the area of counseling, this has got heightened interest in the last few years. When we read on the news, a tragedy will take place 
and there is an individual that's disturbed or has mental or social issues and everybody is saying why didn't they why didn't they get taken why didn't there why wasn't there somebody and you involved you are overworked underappreciated and underpaid I want to thank you for being there you have a place There are people in our nation that are broken and troubled, and we need you. I want to say a special thanks to every believer that you're faithful to go to the poll and vote. Now, if you attend Westover, you'll know I don't tell you how to vote. Why? Because the Bible tells us how to vote. You don't need me to tell you how to vote. The Bible will tell you how to vote. But every time you go to the poll, guess what? It pleases God because you become a voice of conscience when you go into that voting booth and you're exercising a liberty and a freedom that people have absolutely given their life to afford you and I. And every time we vote, we honor those fallen heroes of our American history. I want to say special thanks to healthcare workers. Yes, healthcare workers. Bless you. If you've ever had a family member that's been in the hospital, care facility, hospice care, need the assistance of a health care worker, you know how important they are. And I want to thank you. You make us better and you tenderize our heart. And I want to say to you, thank you. For every believer that you take Jesus with you, you take him to the retail center, you speak Jesus online. You communicate Jesus to coworkers, friends, neighbors, relatives. You just are Jesus in attitude, in action, in so many ways. Thank you for being light. Thank you in that moment when no one else was there. There was no applause. You just are Jesus and you did the right thing in that moment. For our public servants and the city offices, county offices, state offices that service in so many area. Sometimes on the outside, the rest of us don't appreciate the bureaucracy that you have to fight through. You try to do the right thing, but there are so many rules and regulations that don't allow you to do your best and be your best at time. But I want to say to you, thank you. Thank you for being a part of that. A neglected area and often under-celebrated foster parents. Foster parents. Bless you. I have foster families in this church who have taken on an assignment to bring a child into their home. And many times these children come in with issues and experiences that are that are very difficult to deal with and they have to reorganize their entire life around the need and the situation and the particulars of that foster child but they do it because they sense mission they do it they do it because they want to make a difference they see that child they see that individual as somebody they can make a deposit in their life and they see that as a human soul and thank you foster parents for what you're doing I want to say a special thanks to all of the volunteer teams at Westover. Greeters, ushers, those who serve in kids' ministry, student ministry. 
People drive on this campus, walk in the doors. Before they ever hear the worship team or hear a message on this platform, they have been greeted at a door. You have smiled and you've said, good morning, God bless you. You've reached out to them and you have made a deposit in their heart. There are people that came to church today that didn't sleep last night. They're troubled. Their family is broken. They're coming to church because they're looking to see if there's a God in heaven that can make a difference. And your smiling face was the first one they encountered. Thank you. I want to say thank you to everyone that's a part of our sports outreach. We took on an ambitious effort several months ago. We have invested significant resource for sports outreach. We believe that God could draw a bigger circle and through sports ministry, we could include people, touch people, and impact people that might not normally come to church. And I want you to know that's happening. I was down at the ball field just the other day. It was a t-ball game to see those little tots down there playing t-ball going every direction they're at their they're playing ball and one little girl's looking at butterflies and another little boy's looking up at the sky waving to grandma it's it's a wonderful time i'm standing on the sideline there is a lady a mother here in a in a lawn chair and then all of a sudden i hear this gas <gasps> pastor and she pointed down the sideline she says, that's my ex-husband and his girlfriend. And they're coming to watch our son play. Let me tell you the backstory. He, she could never get him to come to church. He would never step door in the church. His heart was hard and wouldn't be a part of it. But he came to see his little boy play. And I had the privilege of walking up and greeting him, introducing myself. I was able to have a connection with him I would have never had otherwise and I'm praying for that man I'm praying that God touch his heart and God warm his heart I'm praying there'll be a day he'll be sitting in this service and he'll make a commitment to Jesus Christ and that began with our sports outreach and I want to thank you I just want to thank you for all those that just desire to be Jesus and you speak up and do what is right so many times unheralded thank you for letting your conscience be your guide and making a better America today wow my heart is heavy when I hear news reports and I hear the insults being lobbed back and forth and the criminalizing motives and criti uh, criticizing government agencies and what's happening here and it just seems like the conversation and the characterization has sunk and I'm here to call us to a new birth of freedom to be people of conscience and the words of Abraham Lincoln in his second inaugural address seem to be fitting for this moment President Lincoln was elected the second time in the middle of the Civil War. American soil stained with blood of brother fighting brother. The rancor, the division, the hostility was so intense in America. And his second inaugural address 
Abraham Lincoln spoke to America with these fitting words, and they seem apropos for this moment, and I quote, with malice towards none, with charity for all. With firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and among all nations. End of quote. I like that. I like that. Malice towards none. Charity towards all. Let's bind up the nation's wounds. Let's be people of conscience. And I'm going to invite you to join me today. Let's pray for America. Would you stand for this closing prayer? Thank you. Allow me to lead you. Heavenly Father, I stand in this auditorium right now and I pray in behalf of America. She has wandered and she's been distracted. It seems like our soul has been tainted and wounded and every American, their heart is heavy for our country right now. I sense that. And our appeal is by your loving grace Put your hand on the shoulder of America and pull her back towards you. Let us be that one nation under God. Let us be that nation that values biblical righteousness, moral righteousness. Let us return civility. Let us return kindness. Let us return goodwill to the social experience. Let us be biblical citizens. We lay aside, God, the rancor. We refuse to get caught in the divide, the debate, the insults. We will not be a part of the demeaning. We will not be a part of the ugly conversation. We are called to be people of light. And we commit ourselves to do that. While we will not be silent with right and wrong, we can speak up and stand for right in a Christ-like fashion and in a loving way. Help us to do that. Help us, God, to take your influence and to speak godly values and project them to others in our workplace, our families, our experiences, and our day-to-day -day business. Let us be people of light in a time of darkness. I pray, God, today for our mayor and our city council. Guide them as they seek to build a better community here in San Antonio. I pray for our county and state officials. I pray, Lord, that conscience will guide them, that there will be an overriding value for a better society, a better community that we will see people not as villains, not as opposition. We will see people as you see people. And God, let values return to the civil discourse in our state and in Washington. 
I pray for our president and vice president. I pray for both houses of Congress. I lift up the Democrats and the Republicans. They're Americans. They may have a different view in an area and a political policy and a perspective than, than I have. But God, we must pray for them and we must ask your best. They're not our enemies. And I pray, God, that we will lose the, the vile speaking and criminalization of the opposite party. Break the spirit of division and gridlock in America and draw our hearts together as Americans. I pray, God, that your voice and your spirit will guide us back to you, that nation under God. I speak your blessing upon people today, those that are here, those that have joined us by the online experience. God, quicken our hearts and use people of faith and renew, renew a new spirit in America. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for being with us, and may you have a wonderful 4th of July. God bless you. You're dismissed.